0: So when I was about 14, I was part of a theatre group that ran out of my local church. And it was really exciting. Twice a year, uh, we would put on a play over the weekend, a show Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's been terms one and two, leading up to this, and then terms three and four, leading up to the second play of the year. And one of the most exciting times of that whole process was in the, the weekend lead up to the, to the show weekend, Uh, Rather than just being there once a week to practice, we'd go there three or four times that week, put in heaps of practice, and we'd see the whole place transform and change. Um, And so the stage, obviously, would get set up and we'd see all the props, and that was really good. And there was also this little uh, coffee shop that the church had where people would come and filter in, and that's where they'd spend their 15 minutes before the show started, and they came out onto the seats. And they decorate that little coffee shop space as well. And one of the most satisfying things for us as the kids who were in the play was they'd take some nice, uh, really nice photos of us, headshots, as you do in the theatre, and they'd put them up on the walls so everyone could come and, and see it. And, you know, when you're 14 and you see this, it's like, yeah, it, it's kind of about me and it's about my friends and we'd all want to go and see our photos and see how they turned out. And I remember one show, uh, where the photos had just got up, so we all rushed over and we were looking at them. And I was looking out and going, oh, that's Holly, that's Bailey, that's James, oh, awesome, these look really good. There was one person I went, I'm not sure who that is. And sometimes we would have people who would start the season with us and then they drop out for some reason. Or uh, they put the leaders' photos up there as well. So sometimes they just come a couple of times to help out. I thought, maybe it's one of these people. So I don't know who this really big nosed person is. It kind of looks like my brother. Oh, that's me. It was me with the big nose. I didn't recognize my own photo. Today we're talking about being doers of the word, not just hearers. Or as James, P, James puts it, people who forget what they look like when they walk away from the mirror. Like me, with my theatre photo. A couple of weeks ago we finished up a series on prayer, and all throughout that series we learned about different ways we can pray, the power of prayer, and how it is an integral part about bringing change in the world, Uh, but first and foremost within ourselves. And last week we spoke about that personal transformation and how in life we are presented with two ways, the kingdom of God and the good things of God, the way of life and new creation, uh, and on the other side, the way that leads to death. Jesus brings about this transformation in our lives, but also calls on us to bring about transformation in the world by making an integral part of choosing to do the things that make that happen. And this week and next, I want to explore what making those decisions actually looks like in our lives and how we can do that a little more practically. And given that we're going to spending a couple of weeks on James, I thought it would be worthwhile looking into the context of it a bit, and I always find that history quite interesting myself. So James was written by a guy called James the Just, who was the brother of Jesus himself. Some scholars would object to this and say that it was actually written pseudonymously, which means someone else wrote it, but used James' name to give it kind of weight and authority. Uh, However, church tradition and early church historians would say it was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And evidence from within the Bible, uh, from other books, including Acts, would also suggest that James is the author. James himself was martyred in 62 AD, according to uh, early church history and tradition, and again given other evidence within the Bible about various things that took place and what was spoken in this letter uh, and others, the likely period that it was written was between 46 and 49 AD, which would actually make it the first New Testament text that was written down, which is pretty cool for James. This letter was written to Jewish Christians. In the first verse, it says, To the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, referencing the twelve tribes from the Old Testament. The prevailing sentiment here is that a lot of Christians got really frightened after the martyrdom of Stephen, which you can read about in Acts 7. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, Uh, he was a deacon or a church leader in Jerusalem. And his death saw many Christians, uh, Jewish Christians, spread out of Jerusalem and into other lands. James' letter is a pastoral one. He writes as someone who already knows the congregation because he is writing to people he ministered to in Jerusalem. And it's a practical letter of wisdom. It's been compared to uh, wisdom books in the Old Testament, like Proverbs, because the primary focus is on that practical wisdom for the readers. James himself was an important figure in the early church, also being one of the first leaders in the Christian church in Jerusalem. Writing in Galatians, Paul names James as one of the three pillars of the church, alongside the disciples Peter and John, so that's pretty esteemed company. Uh, Initially, we actually read in the New Testament that James didn't even believe that Jesus was the Christ, or the Son of God but James was one of the people Jesus appeared to after his death and resurrection, and this was a convincing enough argument for James that he was actually the Christ. I can imagine that James would have been in a very difficult and frustrating position, being the brother of Christ. As if brothers weren't annoying enough, imagine having one that was actually perfect. I'm the youngest of three brothers, we got Jake, who's the oldest, and then Will, who's two years behind him. So they were always in competition, but I'm another four years below Will. And I think they would often get very frustrated with me because while they were fighting about things, I could just fly under the radar and never really get in any trouble. I like to think I was the perfect son, but uh, James actually had a brother who was perfect. So when Jesus says in Luke 4 that no prophets are accepted in their hometown... Uh, I can only imagine how much truer that was for someone in their own household. But I don't just say this because it's something funny to imagine. I think it gives us a really good insight into the character of James. He starts this letter in verse 1 by introducing himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, scholars who would prefer the pseudonymous theory would say that by not identifying himself as the brother of Christ, this adds weight to their argument. Uh, However, those in favour of James, the brother of Christ, being the author himself, would say that, uh, you know, in those times he already had enough kind of kudos as a leader in Jerusalem so that it would be very obvious who this writer was. And again, uh, you know, this letter wasn't intended by James to be in the Bible, Uh, he was writing to members of his congregation who already knew who he was. Personally, I am definitely in favour of James himself being the author of this letter. And with this in mind, this makes the way that he identifies himself very important and very telling, not as the brother of Christ, who he probably hated growing up, but as a servant of Christ. The transition from an unbelieving probably very jealous brother, to a servant of Christ could not have been an easy one for James. But this shows a humility uniquely challenging uh, for the author of this letter. And for a letter that is primarily written to provide practical wisdom to Christians who have fled and are scared, they're in new towns, probably without the same kind of support in their faith life as they would have had with their established connections in Jerusalem, A humble start to the letter, such as this, shows that James is qualified not only in his proximity to Jesus, but also in his character as a leader of the church and a humble servant of Christ. Verses 22 to 25, as Ephraim read out, say this, "'But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves.'" Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does." This, for me, is the really central thing that we need to get our heads around and put into practice if we are to live lives that are transformed by Jesus. Practically, as James says, and as James is living out in his role as a leader of a church, we need to be equal parts hearer and doer, otherwise we deceive ourselves. And the example he gives is someone looking in the mirror. Uh, Now, in my life, I've had two lots of jaw surgery, which has meant that the actual shape of my face has changed a couple of times. But for the most part, other than that example, when I was 14 in the theatre, I do remember what my face looks like. But James' example is like, you know, me going into a mirror and and looking into it and going, all right, well, I've kind of got a bit of a square jaw and a generally skinny face, so that's pretty good. I'll take that as a plus. Got blue eyes. It's kind of Maybe it's skinny enough to say gaunt, but then I've got this big nose and kind of disproportionate to the rest of my face and my ears are pretty asymmetrical. Guess in the end, I just kind of look like a a common, like anyone with English heritage. It's pretty forgettable, common white guy, yeah. And then stepping away from that mirror and going, I look like Brad Pitt. which I don't. That's what a forgetful, of the, a forgetful hearer of the word looks like. Someone who forgets who they really are when they step away from the mirror. And I think a mirror is a really good metaphor for what's going on here. Because it is within the word of God that we see a reflection of who we really are. Or at least... Who we are in God and what he is calling us to be. That is our true self and to be that person it's not good enough to just know the word of God or to hear the word of God, an integral part of knowing is doing, putting it into practice. God didn't make us to be people who just know or hear he made us to do. Now when I say this I'm not saying and James is not saying that we need to do in order to be saved. We had a big series on Galatians earlier in the year, and in that, Paul absolutely tears to shreds this idea that we have to do to be saved. But God's purpose for us is bigger than being born to be saved. God has a purpose for us that gets us out and doing, and if we really are transformed by Christ, if we are saved by his love and sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, which we are God doesn't want us to sit at home and be content that we're saved. He wants us out living a full life. He wants us out there doing for ourselves and for others as well. In verse 16, it says, uh, when, when we're not forgetful hearers, but people who do, then we will be blessed in what we do. We also bless those around us as well. When we don't do this, when the things that we hear and even say and the things that we do don't line up, that is when we become hypocrites. Hypocrisy, as we understand it, is someone who says one thing and does another, whose lived values contradict their spoken values. It was also understood this way in the Bible as we read it in the New Testament, and Jesus uh, uses it to speak out against the Pharisees. Originally, The meaning of the word was basically an actor, someone wearing a mask on a stage to portray a character that they were playing. I'm sure you can see the connection and how that metaphor developed over time. The mask on the stage portraying a character becomes a mask in real life. James, like his brother Jesus, is not interested in hypocrites. What James is interested in are people who live lives that line up inwardly and outwardly. Where the outward outward expression of who you are as a person lives up to the internal sense of self. Does our doing line up with our being? In counselling and therapy, this idea is called congruence, when the inward and outward match up. And it's an underlying assumption of many forms of therapy that... Problems are caused for people when the inward and outward don't match. This might be conscious or unconscious. Uh, An example of incongruence might be swallowing up or denying ourselves the chance to really feel what we're feeling, bottling your emotions. It might be putting on a brave face or a mask, uh, pretending to be someone we're not at work or at school for so long that we forget who we really are, Or we forget what our face looks like in the mirror. Or, as Jesus was calling out, people who were pretending that they cared when really they had selfish motives. Conversely, congruence is when the outward and inward line up. For instance, when someone cuts you off in traffic, uh, you might feel inwardly very angry towards that person and you might just show them a bit of congruence with your outward expression as well. I'm not really an angry person myself uh, but Chrissy and I just bought a rug a couple of weeks back and I came home one day to find scratch marks radiating from a wet patch in the centre of the rug and our cats clearly mistook it it for a litter tray and the cat copped a bit of congruence that day. Congruence is good, yes. We don't don't want to be people who forget what we look like or who don't understand ourselves but the next step is to channel what is going on for us into something that is life-giving. It's not wrong to feel happy or sad or angry or anything in between, and it's good to act out of who we truly are. But once again, are the ways that we are acting bringing good things, bringing life, a new creation, or are they bringing death? James has helpful advice on how to deal with this. Verses 19 to 21 say, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The first thing to address here is, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. It is okay to feel angry. What James is saying is that human anger, the anger that focuses us in on ourselves and nothing else, that is selfish and defensive and leads us away from God, is what we want to avoid. We know Jesus got angry and turned over tables. There are examples of incredible people of faith who have channeled anger at injustice at injustice into powerful movements for justice. And a, a big one at the moment is the anger people feel over treatment of refugees, for example, in ways people are peacefully protesting and practically helping people in those situations. A lot of people feel really angry about what's going on, but they're channeling it into something life-giving. This passage says, when you feel angry, stop and listen. Don't get caught up in selfishness, and defensiveness, stop and think about what's going on, properly address what's happening inside of you before you make a rash decision. For us this might mean when things get heated with friends or family, you're having an argument, take some time, go for a walk before responding. Diffuse the situation before the selfish and defensive anger takes a hold of that situation. Listen first to what's going on inside of you, as well as what's happening for the other person. Don't get caught up in that moment. And when it says, rid yourselves of moral filth and humbly receive the implanted word, that is our goal. To let the true word of God be our mirror that informs us of who we really are. So that when that moment of human anger comes and we act out of our identity, in the word and in God, not out of human selfishness and anger. That's the practice that we want to do, to be constantly looking into that mirror, to use the metaphor of God's word and his ways uh, to practice doing the right thing when a situation like that comes around again so that we don't forget who we are. It does take practice and effort. Some time ago, Alex was speaking on significant statistics in the life of Christians and one that came out was people who read their Bible four or more times a week generally show a greater commitment to an understanding of their faith and how to live that out. It takes practice, but practice yields tangible results. So I talked earlier about congruence being a counselling concept uh, and something that can help us to understand how we tick. I thought it might be interesting to look at one way in which a therapeutic method describes how we can get help in changing ourselves. So again being congruent is good but we also want to channel that so our actions don't just reflect what's going on for us in the moment but that who we are is someone who reflects the way God calls us to act In CBT, or Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, we work with the assumptions that, as people, we have thoughts, feelings, and behaviours. And I'll grab the first slide, please. So they're represented as each point of a triangle, all connected. And that's because, while they are distinct and separate parts of who we are, They are all linked and affect each other. For instance, if you're feeling very happy, then you might want to get out of the house on your day off and go down to the beach and enjoy your sunshine. Your feelings affect your behaviours. But if you're feeling sad on your day off, you might just prefer to stay at home and rest on the couch. If you're feeling relaxed, you might leave the housework till tomorrow. If you're feeling stressed, The behaviour changes and you're probably trying to get it all done before mum and dad come home. One of the central things with CBT is that it places a big emphasis on our cognitions or our thoughts, cognitive behavioural therapy. And it's through this thinking that we try to make positive change in our life. CBT says that we can change what we believe by changing our thinking about something. And I think this lines up very well with verse 21 where it says, we need to humbly receive the implanted word. We allow that to change our thinking and therefore change our beliefs. In life, sometimes it can feel like, ah, there we go. So there's the thoughts, feelings and behaviours. Distinct but all affecting each other. Can we go to the next one please? There we go. In life, it can feel like things happen and reactions happen in reaction. An event occurs, and then we behave with our reactions. But really, our behaviours are filtered through our beliefs surrounding that event. Can we go to the next one, please? There we go. The event happens, it's filtered through our beliefs, and that informs the behaviour that takes place. If we believe that life is ultimately about serving ourselves, and nothing else matters, then we're not going to do anything about refugees fleeing terrible and desperate situations when we see these stories come up on the news. But if we believe, like in verse 27, uh, just after our passage for today, that God calls us to look after orphans and widows, then that changes our reaction considerably. And if you don't believe that we can make changes to what we believe and who we are by changing our thinking, then next one again, please. I'll refer you to Romans twelve two, which says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Next one, please. And so as we change the way that we think, And that is linked to how we feel and how we behave, the thoughts changing our beliefs that affects our behaviours and feelings and what comes after. James says that when we hear the word of God, when we receive that implanted word, it changes our behaviours and we become doers of the word, not just hearers. We aren't hypocrites, but people of integrity, congruence and doers of the word of God. This is the goal. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be people wearing a mask, hearing one thing or doing another, seeing ourselves in the mirror, seeing who God calls us to be in the Bible, our true reflection, but doing something else. But the thing is, it takes practice. It takes practice in our thinking. It sounds like a funny concept, practicing your thinking, but you can practice a thought over time and it will change and it will change your beliefs. A really interesting case study is uh, prisoners of war um, taken by communists, I believe, in Vietnam. Uh, The people who kept them prisoner said, you know, we'll let you send a letter home to your family in your home country. But to do that, you have to tell us a good thing about communism. You have to come up with a reason. So every time they wanted to send a letter, They had to think of a new way that communism was a good thing. And for those who made it home and got home, they were found to be uh, quite communist tolerant because they'd practiced a new way of thinking. They didn't mind it. So we practice our thinking. And in practicing our thinking, that changes our beliefs. We also need to practice our doing. You don't need to start by going out and doing it you know, a huge thing every single day, some life-changing thing, start small, but practice it. We need to make ourselves congruent, the same on the in and the out, and we need to make sure that when we act out of who we truly are, that reflects what we see in the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your Word. We thank you that we have in the Bible a reflection of who you call us to be, of the people you call us to be who can bring about and are an integral part of bringing about new life and new creation and enacting your will on this earth. Lord, we know it takes practice and it takes hard work, but we pray that you'll give us the energy, you give us the motivation to be people who change who we are, not so that we can Just be someone completely different or out there, but be people who reflect you in our daily lives. Amen.